So glad you joined us again. Uh, take a little bit of time to listen in, and we just know that it's going to bless you today. We're going to be talking about opportunities versus obstacles. I got a good friend in the, in the office with me today, Tom Lemire, a true patriot. Tom, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Tell us Caleb. a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Chief. Uh, well, I'm a uh, 22-year Air Force vet, um, still serving here, obviously, with you, and uh, come from upstate New York, and at 17 years old, I decided to just make a jump and say I'm out of here and uh, join the Air Force and started just work from there. Yeah. Um, just a single guy, Mets fan. <laughs> we won't hold that again. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, uh, you know, a lot of times when we bring people on the show, you know, thanks for, you know, sort of a brief introduction there, but, uh, you know, we, we, we know that we can also learn from people, sure. you know, just listen to their story. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you can... Uh, go in as much detail as you want. We got all the time in the world, and uh, if if the audience doesn't need to listen to it, they'll just fast forward. Sure. So, but but you know there there's a lot of things that can be learned and gained from each other. So like I say to people, you know, you were born, the doctor smacked your backside, and now you're sitting in front of me. So you gave us a little bit of the Air Force stuff, but right. let's let's go back. Let's let's go back to childhood. What what was childhood like for Tom? Uh great family. I was uh, grew up like I said, grew up in upstate New York, and uh, had I grew up in a huge family. Uh, I have six siblings. Um, Three of them are way older than me, so I didn't really know them growing up. I did, but you know they were adults by the time I was born. So I grew up with three siblings, and it, we had a huge sense of family and being together. Both my parents were teachers, and I grew up. You know, everybody was. It, it was a really loving, good family with good support, and you know, I had to a million times just be brought back to earth a little bit by my dad or mom. And just like, what do you uh, What do you think yeah. you're doing here? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. tried to really. I, I really tried all the time to get. You know, instead of probably any kids, try to get away with whatever I could. You know, go out with friends, and or you know, I would skip school sometimes. And I remember my. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Last day of school, I was uh, expelled yeah. because I was uh, I just kept skipping this one class, and the administrator was like, "If you like last day, if you do this, like you're not coming to you, I'm going to explain the last day of school." So he was uh, he had like a you know fast line to my father, you know. Yeah. So that's who I was, didn't want to mess up, but you know mess mess with my, my dad. But I you know stupid kid just trying to get away with whatever I could. Yeah. So a lot of times I had to be brought back and like I said, like one of the last days I skipped one of the classes and he was like, that's it. You can't come to school last day of school. So <laughs> I got to walk and graduate and the whole thing. But, um, well, that's good. Cause yeah. that could have ended up that could have been terrible. Yeah. But yeah. And I had to, uh, I knew that I had to grow up. So if I went to college, I knew I would fail out, you yeah. know, not because I couldn't do it just cause I, wouldn't do it. I would just try to do whatever, you know, probably just underage drinking or smoking weed or some crap, you know. Mm -hmm. So I said, the heck with that. I knew that I needed to do something else besides college at, at, at 17 years old. So that's where the Air Force came in. And, um, but like I said, I grew up with a, a great family. I'm still, I'm still very close to them to this day. Yeah. And uh, they all have kids. I kind of like, I'm, I'm maybe like the black sheep of the family, and not in a bad way, but everybody else is teachers and they stayed in Saratoga. And they just became teachers, and yeah. my parents were teachers, and I was kind of like, "All right, well, this is not for me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just you know left, 
went on my own path and I'm still I'm still on it and it's great. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I appreciate you not only just being uh, here on the show, but being on the dep- uh, deployment with you, um, but just just chit- chit-chatting with you. You know, I've, I learned a lot from you as well. And, uh, you know, working on this book for how to be successful uh, if, as an airman, you know, I think a lot of it, I, I really do believe that a lot of it can be, uh, you know, shared with whatever profession, you know, anyone's working towards. But one of the chapters in there, we talk about uh, opportunity versus obstacles. And I know through previous conversations with you, uh, you know, transitioning from your childhood into the military, uh, that was a little bit of a transition period oh, yeah. for you. And and I just know that our audience uh, and, and uh, you know the readers of the book, once it's published, will really benefit from this. And thank you for coming on to talk about that. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're listening, there's, there's going to be some stuff that gets kind of deep. Uh, you know, life is not always pretty. Sure. You know, we go through some things. And the way you were able to recover, I mean, you sit in front of me as a senior mass sergeant right now. Correct. Uh, and I think that's uh, important for us to be transparent with those that we're responsible for leading, motivating, and inspiring to know that we're not perfect humans, right? Uh, there's there's no such thing as a perfect human. Uh, so yeah, man, just, I don't know, just let's just jump into it sure. and, and let's talk about how those obstacles that might have looked like obstacles for you, but you turn them into opportunities. Yeah, we can start with the, you know, I can pick it back right off where you said uh, childhood into the military, like I said, I was 17 years old. I um, had a run in my first run, and I, you know, graduated basic training. It was all good. I get to Keesler Air Force Base as a, uh, I, you know, I got my job. It was a my it was going to be avionics uh, guidance control, and I go to tech school, and I immediately screw up, hmm. and I tried to. Uh, it was, I was seventeen, eighteen years old, and I remember I I, uh, I had a couple friends, and one of them kept. He would go into the BX and he'd get away with stealing. I don't know how he was doing it, but he, I wouldn't find out till later. And he'd be like, yeah, man, I got this computer. And I don't know why that, I was like, oh man, you know, you're just a poor airman, you know, and making much, you know, airman basic. And I tried to go steal a PlayStation game and I got caught. And it was just embarrassing, terrible. And um, it, you know, wasn't the end of the world. It's not like, you know, I don't normally died or anything, but yeah. you can't be doing that. You know? sure. So my commander came down to me and I remember, uh, I got an article 15 and was sent to a little place across the street called correctional custody. Mm. And it was basically, you know, you go over there and they, they, they kind of take everything away from you. And so if I can just real quick, sure. cause a lot of uh, our newer airmen, we don't have at least in my knowledge, correctional custody anymore. Oh, okay. So, well, so let's probably explain that. Sure, okay. So, so you, you've got to this point where you're mm-hmm. in trouble and, and this was about a program that was really designed to straighten airmen up, That's you know, exactly so, right. But go into a little detail before you actually tell the story of going there of what correctional custody is. That is, uh, it, so it's a like you said, it's a it's a correctional tool for airmen, and it's kind of like the last the one uh, like a last stop before you get kicked out of the air force. Um, a commander, it's a commander tool for you know having a, a it's what they can it. With an Article 15, you can have many punishments, like 45 days extra duty, uh, reduction in pay, reduction in rank. My commander decided to give me correctional custody 30 days, and uh, if you're a captain and you uh, and you want to give this punishment, it's only 15, but a major and up can give 30. And I got 30 days. I had a lieutenant colonel, uh, lieutenant colonel McCollum was his name in tech school. He was running the 332 sec- 32nd uh, TRS, and so he decided that this, you know. I, I did screw up. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a pretty bad offense. I'm going to give you an Article 15, and this is your last chance to straighten yourself out. Last chance. I was in the Air Force for eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know that includes basic training. Yeah. So I was over there, like you know, thinking like, man, I really jacked up, and I really need to, you know, go over there and 
make the best of it. Yeah. So it's a correctional custody is a basically kind of going back to basic training, but a little harder. Yeah. So it's like uh, the the angry TIs. Oh yeah. Uh, that you know, after they finish basic training and uh, they they want to go to the next level. Oh yeah. That's that's the type of people we had, uh, top NCOs that we had in the um, correctional custody facilities. Because I was stationed down in Keesler. Uh, it wasn't at the time that you were in correctional custody, but there was actually one for unless they moved it. There was one over on the school side that I remember, and then there was one on the on the operational side, if you will. We had a couple of airmen. We'll leave nameless that were in the shop with me and uh, when they went they got sent over there you know it's kind of like uh, we didn't know if we were going to see that airman again I mean I know we were young and yeah. we, we, nobody was going to die but at the time we didn't know that you hear like, stories you hear like horror, horror stories about it and I remember hearing them and then I got in trouble like, and you, you get in your own head you're like I'm going over there yeah. holy crap you know yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically I remember day one I remember everybody's names I remember all the uh, reporting statements and it's not just a reporting statement how you go see a you know a, uh, a section chief or a chief where you're like you know man you know sir uh, Amazon so and so reports his order no this was there's red lines everywhere yeah. and my section chief brought me over he said listen this is a little different you know just kind of do what they say and he kind of try to like prepare me a little bit but I had no idea what I was in for yeah this guy comes out he was huge Master Sergeant Andrews he just immediately is in my face he knows my he knows why I'm there he knows what I did he knew the whole thing and he's in your face just screaming I don't understand what he's saying and I'm trying to <laughs> trying to do what he's saying but I don't get it yeah. and he's you know got coffee and cigarette breath and I'm like this is terrible <laughs> And um, that's a good senior yeah, year, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I remember I had a I had a, 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 a my sea bag on me because I had to pack all my stuff with me. And the, I'm doing push ups on that. I'm a little 17 year old kid, probably 130 pounds, maybe. Don't not really strong. And I'm trying to crank out push ups with this thing, and it wasn't working out. He's just screaming at me. I'm running around. It was just awful. He brings you upstairs, and one of the reporting statements was uh, you had to ask permission to even talk. Yeah. So you get to a line. And the premise was you couldn't cross that line until you got permission, but you had to get permission to talk first. Yeah. So that's what I was saying. They took away everything. They took away your your, your right to even speak. Um, once you got you know all the all the reporting down and you know the uh, available to talk and then get over the line, you're in processing and they make you immediately go in a room, take your uniform off, and put on your PT gear because you're not up to the Air Force standard and you are not allowed to wear the Air Force yeah. uniform. So you're walking around all the time in PT gear and the you know the the folks that have been there a while they kind of know you're new and they know you know the the deal yeah. and they they show me my room and they kind of prepare you prepare your room for you yeah. and it's basically just trashed there's sand everywhere and there's <laughs> they put the sand on there and then they pour uh floor wax yeah. on top of it and it oh, dries yeah and you i was in there like oh my god they're like you can clean this room it needs to be ready by tomorrow morning for inspection and then you're so you're trying to do that and they're just coming in and grab you to do stuff yeah do other details like go downstairs and move sandbags and i'm shot at this point i'm not a strong kid at that time and I'm like you know running around trying to figure out you know, you know everybody's yelling at you so the first day I remember it ended after, you know I thought I cleaned my room pretty good yeah I, I found out the next day I didn't and I got into uh, one of the uh, they have C, uh, NCOs in there at detail all night and one of them made me go buff a floor all night instead of sleeping <laughs> 
and then she threw me in a concrete room with a sleeping bag, and that was your first night. You got yeah. about two hours, and then they woke you up, not with Reveille, but with, it was Lee Greenwood, proud to be an American. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, um, when you went into um, correctional custody, so you, you kind of did a great job of telling us kind of like, you know, the, the stuff that goes on, the crazy shenanigans mm-hmm. and, and in detail really about how to break you down and rebuild you as an airman. Uh, but but when you got assigned there, you know, you said that, uh, like, oh, man, I'm going over there. So what were what were some of your thoughts when we, as it pertains to obstacles and opportunities? I'm sure at that point in time you weren't looking at it as an opportunity. No. Well, maybe you were. I don't know. No, but... I, I was looking at it as um... – I was terrified. Yeah, that's how that's how I looked at it. I was this kid, uh, and I didn't. I thought I was going to get beat. I yeah. thought I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I, I, you know, you get in your own head, and um, I, yeah, I thought they could they beat you up and all sorts of things. But I found out that it's a it is a structure to break you down and build you back up. And around halfway through is when they they call you in, and you've been do you know if you're if you're really screwing up at, to that point, I think they have a you know, probably a, a program where they look at it and they say, okay, you're not really doing good. And they probably process you. Process you. Yeah. Right, right. But I did, you know, did everything I was supposed to and more. And I just remember hustling the whole time and just doing whatever they said. You figure it out. And finally they bring you in about halfway through and they're just like, they're screaming at you, but then they kind of stop and they say, they point things out that you did that were good. Mm-hmm. You know, you were strong over here. You helped him. You know, you helped this airman when he came in. He goes, that's the, that's the type of airman you need to be. Go put that uniform on, and it's, it's a real motivational tool. And people are crying and everything. Yeah. I ran up, put the you know uniform back on. It just felt good to say you're you know a member of the Air Force again. It was great. Seventeen year old kid, and uh, the next fifteen days is all about helping others. And you they they give you back your rights, like you know those red lines I spoke about. Mm-hmm. You could just cross those, and you didn't have to ask to speak anymore. And you you basically became part of the, the Air Force Society again. And you process out of there, and you go back to your squadron. I didn't make it past phase two again, but. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time or some time I was there. Yeah. But I made it through and all those but the the thing about it was it was an article fifteen. And that is a you know a huge blemish on your record for the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. Even though what I did wasn't like I said, you know, nobody got killed or anything about it. I went and I lost all sorts of integrity and just tried to steal a game and they called me on it. So yeah. now I have now I have this article fifteen, I have this blemish. I didn't get my first stripe. That was one of the other things they they Aaron Basic is only six months. Well, I spent another six months as an Air Basic. So when I got to my first base at McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey, on the flight line as an avionics troop, you're supposed to have a stripe. So now everybody knows something happened, either something. Yeah. So I had to kind of. I didn't know how to walk, dance around. I had yeah, yeah. fifteen. Yeah. I found out that the flight line guys loved me for it <laughs> because they were just like yeah. you know I, I first kind of said well no I, I kind of was the I, I sped up the process because I did really well in school and I did do good in school but not enough to not for six months No, and they kind of were like oh, okay that's cool and I go guys I gotta tell you it's my first day of the job you know yeah. I, I don't know anybody I, go, guys, I gotta tell you I don't have a stripe because I got an article 15 and I got and, and uh, they sent me correction custody and uh, they t- didn't give me my stripe Everybody was kind of cheering and like hugged me and like that's the best thing I've ever heard. And, I was like, oh, wow. okay. and they immediately accepted me into like the maintenance, you know, air, yeah. aircraft maintenance because yeah. they didn't have nobody else had that. They're like, tell us stories. Yeah. So all they wanted to hear was stories from crashes of custody. <laughs> you know, that I went through. 
and then I became like one of the I, I feel in in the shop one of the best avionics troops yeah. um, up until the point and so so let's let's go back sure. uh, back to correctional custody you're in correctional custody because uh, even though that these don't exist anymore uh, for they, our airmen I think they should that's a that's another conversation but go ahead yeah you know that may be something we could have a, yeah. a follow up sure. with Tom sure. uh, but but there's times where we we fail right yeah. so it's I don't want our airmen to be afraid to fail uh, I don't want them to go steal a PlayStation game no and and not just punking you on this, right? But, I mean, obviously, we're here sharing. Uh, so there's there's a difference between making a mistake and, and committing a crime. Sure. And you didn't actually weren't successful in committing the crime, if so, you will. Right. Uh, but but there's failures that people will go through. So I'm not talking about the failures that were. Hey, I'm going to go out and try an innovation, and and it doesn't work. That that is a sort of a failure. Mm-hmm. But I, the failures we're talking about are the things that that we could have been separated from the Air Force uh, because of our decisions. So while we don't have correctional custody, there's still times where you're, you're going to get an Article 15, potentially, obviously, if you mess up. And I don't want our airmen to go out looking for these things. But what I do want them to understand is those that, like me and you, we tripped and fell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we fall, then, then that's not the end, right? So this is an obstacle. So when you're in correctional custody... What do you think about uh, were the other airmen? What was the environment of not necessarily those in correctional custody because you all kind of earned your rights to be in there, right? Right. But the other ones that were outside, you know, not the that hadn't well, been to correctional custody, they were like, "Oh, their Tom's in correctional custody." What was that environment like? When I got back into the squadron, or while I was there, kind of both, right? So well, when you were there, when and I was there, I, when I was there, my classmates, it, it was I guess worked out or didn't work out for me. It was right across the street from my squadron. So they, the you know, the the tree they called it. There was like a smoke pit tree where everybody hung out, and it was in the courtyard of yeah. the squadron, and everybody could see me out there. Whatever I was doing during the day, carrying sandbags, or I had to make my bed one day outside. It was pretty nuts. But at the time, I I think they were looking at me kind of like, or what a what a screwed up. And who's this, you know, this guy. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's what you just think of yourself kind of when you're in there. And I was like, man, I really jacked up. That's what they probably see of me. But then they saw, when I got back there, they saw like kind of like a whole new airman. It was like a whole new, like motivated, doing the right thing. And I, I made sure to do, I, I became like the, they had this thing called the student council mm-hmm. for all the students. I became the student council president. I became the newspaper president. I, did, I tried to go get a green rope, and they were like, you're already mind, you have an article 15. But, <laughs> you know, I tried to just do put myself into more leadership roles, and from that, they saw the the output of what correctional custody did for me, and they saw that airman. Um, so what they saw while I was there and what they thought versus what I came out is totally different. Yeah, so, you know, where I was going with that, and thanks for filling us in there, is, you know, you walk around in the squadron, so if you're an A1C or whatever the rank is we use in A1C, right. uh, you're an A1C, and while you might not be faced with the stigma of going to correctional custody, you come back in the next day if, if you've messed up and you were served in Article 15 lost a stripe or two, uh, so people can see, like, your uniform obviously looks yep. different. They're like, oh, that's not Airman First Class Vade anymore. It's Airman Basic Vade. Yep. So those feelings are the same, I think, you know, when our airmen fail, when we fail. You went to correctional custody, and they kind of got to see you being put through the ringer, so to speak. Uh, probably some of them felt bad for you. Some of it is probably a good fear tactic to other sure. airmen not to mess up. I know for a fact there were some of them that were, I, I, I forget how they worded it, but they just, they wouldn't get past the Article 15. They wouldn't get past that you screwed up and you are, you know, they, I don't know if they were all ate up about, you know, and it was like the, the high, it was like the red ropes and the yellow ropes. Some yeah. of them were cool and some of them were just like, I want nothing to do with you. You you, you failed the Air Force, and yeah. I'm just like, okay, dude, whatever. Yeah. But most folks saw the outcome of what Carson did for me, and 
I became, you know, the people were coming to me for advice about, you know, because if you screw up and you go through something and you come out good on the other end, yeah. other folks come to you when they have like an LLC or LOR and it makes them feel bad. And I'm like, hey, man, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Just, just keep your nose clean. Do not go get an article 15. I'm not telling anybody to go do that. Sure. But if you do something, it's usually not the end of the world and you can get past it, especially if you have good leaders that are in front of you. I think it says a lot about your character too. So kind of the road we're on right now in this conversation is, you know, you're faced with something you responded really, really well, whether that was a product of correctional custody, but I really think, yeah, that's a tool, as you said. Sure. It's about how we as humans respond to the environment, respond to our situation. So, Airman, welcome back into the unit with less stripes. Are you going to keep your head down and go stand in the corner, uh, or are you going to go and respond the way you did? So, speaking of it from that perspective, when you're in the middle of it, you know, making your bed outside in the burning sun, and you're telling me the story the other day. It's crazy. Uh, you might not have thought about, hey, this is an opportunity right now, but when you get back, obviously you're signing up for all these things, trying to be, you know, exercise your leadership sure. capacity. What, what gave you the motivation to do that or what inspired you to do that? What, when did you start seeing, hey, this obstacle, this roadblock that, I was, in, that was in front of me, I can use it? Walk us through that. Um, well, it, it kind of it started while I was in correctional custody, and it started uh, having once once they kind of break you down and start building you back up. They also start giving you positive feedback about how you can how you can make this towards your benefit. And I I also had it in the back of my mind like I knew this was my last chance, and I knew if I did anything else or screwed this opportunity up, I was going to be kicked out of the Air Force, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. Yeah. And like I said, I was only eight, nine weeks in the Air Force, and I was like, oh, what an embarrassment. That's what I thought of. Like, what is my family going to think of me? What is my father going to think of me? That was really in the back of my head. And I was like, and I want a good life. I want a good career. And I want it to be ended in nine weeks with a dumb mistake I made. So I need to really kick it into high gear here and go, um, you know, do good things. On the back end of that, when I saw how people responded to me when I got back, especially the kids that were kind of in, it's not trouble. It's just like, a letter of counseling for you know not making it to weeds and seeds or something like that yeah. and there's like you know Aaron Lemire um, you know it's an A1C talking to me like I got an LLC I'm like hey man you got an LLC it's not going to follow you it's not going to nothing it's just like I get we're in a training environment we're in a TRS but just keep your nose clean and if you want to come with me I'm going to do I'm going to do this newspaper thing I'm going to play softball I'm going to do whatever it's coming to me and whatever so I was able to I think from A they knew I was a kid already in trouble and they saw how I responded, and they were coming to me for advice. Yeah, and I thought it was great. So that's, you're you're keying in on some some really good points there about how we how we process those those situations that we're in, and then I got you brought up some good stuff, and it really goes back to your values and your why. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to know what your values are. So when you're going through these situations, a lot of things might look like an obstacle if you don't know what your values are. And you talk about the embarrassment of your father and your family and stuff, you know, and, and that was kind of like your fire that was burning inside sure. of you to keep motivating. You're like, hey, I can't go out like this. No. And it's something else you hit on that, that I don't know that all of our airmen fully appreciate. Um, you know, I talked to my son. He's in, he's in his first week of basic training right now and uh, at the time of this recording. And, uh, you know, he's... Um, I was talking to him about the pride of wearing the fabric of our nation. Now, you bring up a good point when you're talking about like, hey, this is the requirement to be an airman. You have to perform at this level and you have to have integrity and, and you know, all of the core values that we have, but that's where you were kind of slipped up. Mm -hmm. They take the uniform from you and say, hey, young man, you got to earn this back. Sure. You don't deserve to wear this uniform. So sometimes I don't think that people understand it's, it's a privilege to be able to wear the uniform of our United States Air Force. Sure is. And, uh, and support and defend the Constitution. So... 
them being able to read blue you, so to speak, in, in that manner, uh, and get you to look at it and say, hey, how can I help other people? Uh, so I got a story real quick that we won't share any names. Uh, it's, it's pretty personal for this individual, but this is a staff sergeant uh, at, at one of my previous bases, and, and he did commit a crime. It was something illegally. He was drinking and driving. He got pulled over and got DUI, uh, had an ARC-15, lost a stripe, and and he did not bury, so similar to you, he didn't bury his head in the sand. You know, and from a command team, from the first sergeant, the superintendent, the commander, and his leadership chain didn't sit around and say, hey, let's let's go ahead and knock him down. You know, obviously he understood he committed a crime and uh, had to, you know, pay the punishment for that. Um, but it wasn't one of those things. I think so many times I see that we're, you know, we'll hold somebody accountable, but then we'll stick our hand down and try to pick them right back up. Right. So I think correctional custody was a great opportunity for you to kind of climb back up on your own. Not that we just hold our airmen down. You don't keep them under your thumb. But when they fall down, you don't immediately turn around and try to help them back up. They need to stand up on their own. This individual, this young man, same thing, was starting to get involved more in the squadron, shared his story. You know, he came to me and asked me if he could share his story at a commander's call. You know, there's a lot of used to be common thing. You know, you mess up in front of the, uh, the rest of your squadron and say, hey, don't do this. You know, this is what I learned from it. Uh, but, you know, you can't do that stuff anymore. But if someone volunteers, then absolutely, you know, if that's what you want to do, make sure that's what you want to do. And anyway, he shared his story. He's now, again, a staff sergeant. Uh, so he's, it's been a couple of years now, but he was able to recover. So from your situation, messed up, made a horrible decision in, in exchange there at Keith Air Force Base, go through correctional custody. Uh, now that you're at your first base, because you know you've done these things moving along. Um, but if, if you're willing, because I know you've shared with me uh, in the past, sometimes it takes us a couple of times to uh, figure things out. More, or, right? more, or more. Or, or more, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's just like anything else. You try to overcome depression, and it doesn't snap your fingers, and it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make a mistake, and we don't automatically get on straight and narrow, mm-hmm. right? You did for a period of time. Right. Tell us about your, you're at your first duty station, and, and, and what happened there, man? <laughs> All right, so I, I get there, and I, like I said, I, I, I touched on it. I had the article routine, you know, and um, it's not my stripes, but I kept my nose clean, and then, you know, I became, a, I thought, a great avionics technician. I went to a MASOP, it's called Maintenance Special Ops. I was on 141, and I had gotten to the special operations uh, part of maintenance, and mm-hmm. we were doing a, a pretty secret mission. Yeah. And it was awesome, and I loved it. Well, during that time, I had another little speed bump, if you want to call it, and I. Uh, just a quick story of what happened. Me and a couple friends were, I had the pagers on me for, for alert. I was on alert status and we had a softball game and I was, I was only 20 years old. So I was still underage yep. and we were having beers and having drinks and we go off base. And there was this little place called uh, illusions. This is little BS. No go, go bar it was terrible, but we were there. So uh, a ride that was with us was one of our friend's wives and she didn't want to be there so she left so we were all in there drinking and I forgot how we even got in because I was on the raise like I said but sometime you know two in the morning we're all bombed and we go back to the base but we didn't want to drive on the base so we parked across the street at this Chinese restaurant we got out of the car we were walking onto the base and I turn around and two of my friends see an abandoned car and they're trying to get in the car to grab speakers. Hmm. I wasn't a part of trying to grab the speakers, but I was there watching them basically saying, what are you guys doing? Let's go. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. And I don't know if they broke something or made a loud noise, but there was a, an SP, a security forces SP at the time that coming through the woods behind them. And I saw the flash and I didn't run. I didn't get away from the situation. I tried to say, to warn them, Hey, let's go. Yeah. And it was too late. And we all got arrested basically. Yeah. 
So there I am again, arrested. Um, I go downtown, and the cops know that we're lying. We're telling this bullcrap story about what happened. And we're like, well, no, we, it was somebody else, and we were just trying to run, you know. Totally just yeah. a fabricated story. Well, they got us with burglary. Mm-hmm. And I said, burglary? Are you kidding me? Like, I, didn't, I wasn't even in the car. Yeah. They said, nope, you were there. Burglary, and then... Uh, uh, Fleeing apprehension. I had I had about I had seven charges against me, and then wow. I went and went to the, and it was all just to load it up because yeah. they knew we were lying. Got back onto the base. So now it's six in the morning. I got the pagers on me. I've been in a jail cell, handcuffed to my buddy who's snoring on me. And what's a what's a pager? Oh, so yeah. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> so it's it's a a beeper. It's just a what's a beeper? It's a I don't even know how to explain it. It's it was a, in the days before cell phones. Yeah, before or, cell phones. Well, before they were popular. Sure, anyway, right. It was before cell phones, and you could pick up any phone and type up some digits in, and it would and it would call my beeper, and you'd look at the beeper, and digits would come up, like either yeah. what number to call back, or if I had to get alerted, it would just say alert, mm-hmm. and I'd have to go to the airplane. Well, if I'm in jail, I can't go to the airplane. If yeah. I get alerted, that is worldwide missions that are that is like the worst case scenario yeah and i didn't even it didn't even register and i'm just in jail like well this sucks you know yeah well my uh the the sp the security forces comes picks me up and now i go into base so now i'm getting charged on base as well for not burglary but i was uh I didn't even get underage drinking. I was drinking underage, and they knew it, and they didn't even charge me with it. Mm. They just got me with faith apprehension, and uh, like I said, I had seven charges total. Well, the first shirt came and got me, and he said, be in my office in an hour, and he left me there at the jail cell. Me and my buddy, who just made senior admin, but he only had A1C stripes on his blues, which was, (laughs) for me, I kind of like... They, well, they saw that and they, you know, he was getting yelled at more and all they go, Jesus, you know. Anyway, we're standing in front of this first sergeant's office, the brand new commander, day two, he's there. He's like, what's going on here? And, you know, we all summer long, we, they took our line badges away. They took everything away. We, they took my pagers away. They took MASOP away. No more special ops. So now I'm, I was the, uh, what's that stuff? Simple green. I was mm-hmm. just carrying on gallons of simple green, cleaning stuff all summer. I, I dot 51 in McGuire Force Base. It's still there. I remember that they have a makeshift gym there now. For that's where COVID, you know, that's where yeah. the gym is now. I remember looking around there and being like, oh, I cleaned this whole thing yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> like this, and probably uh, so much simple green in there. COVID, it was ridiculous. Right yep, yep. <laughs> and for, out of that, I got another August 15. So I went to correctional custody again, <laughs> but this time it was a Camp Lejeune with the Marines. Oh yeah, a different, whole different animal. They could get a little physical, and huh? they did. Yep. And it's not that they came and running after you to beat your ass or anything, but if you came, they had a rule and they told everybody, if you're running around and you're doing your job, their philosophy was there was only four of them and 70 of us. And if they, if we came within arm's reach of them and they, they could just throw an arm out. And I got, I got thrown a few times by these jacked Marines that were just, man, they were, they were, I mean, come to find out when you're leaving, they're really cool. You know, they kind of give you an outbrief and they're like, Hey man this is just what we do here and you know you did really well and the whole thing yeah. that's uh, the sidebar here 9-11 happened when I was there mm. and we you know I was building a prisoner of war camp and they came and set aside like you know Twin Towers and this is the only time they were really kind of let off the gas mm. and they let us watch on yeah. TV the whole thing and we really had like a big you know lesson about like you know what's gonna happen anyway but I went back to McGuire shortly after that to a job but again article 15 number 2 it's not supposed to happen yeah and I never, I didn't know that really. I just was like, okay, well, I, I, I served my punishment again. And that was the whole thing. Shortly after that, months after that, um, headquarters called my commander and said, hey, you have an airman with two Article 15s. Did you, 
what are you what are you doing over there? He said, No, I have an airman one out of fifteen and I sent him to correctional custody once. He go, No, <laughs> you have an airman that went to correctional custody twice and two article fifteens. And he asked some questions, like, what are you talking about? He goes, He got an article fifteen in tech school. So much time went by by the article fifteen. He they never looked for like yeah. headquarters. There was no reason for them to that was a good airman at McGuire. Yeah. And you know, I got called into the office and I, I had you know, my section chief with me, the flight chief, the superintendent, my command, not my commander, but um, he was the commander. I was going to see the commander. And all the, you know, lieutenants and captains, I remember walking in this office and they're all standing there. And I was like, I think this is it. I think I have less than six months left and I didn't make it. And this is it. And they're all going to, I'm going to get thrown out. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, he stood there and he goes, well, did you, you apparently you have two of the 15s. I was like, yes, sir. He goes, did you just think I knew about the first one? I said, Yes, sir. And he kind of in your mind, like, Why yeah. Me? I was like, that's exactly. I was like, yeah. well, you're my commander. I thought you looked through my files and figured out this yeah. look of man. You were right. I should have known, but I didn't. Okay. And he said, fine. He goes, well, I have one of two things I can do here. I can just say, well, two hundred fifteens, you're out the door, and that's it. He goes, or I can listen to all of the leaders behind you who stuck up for you and said, no, we need to keep this guy because he's one of the best workers. And he, they said all this positive stuff about me, and none of them wanted to get rid of me. They all, I, yeah. unbeknownst to me, really liked me and really liked the the product that I did on the flight line and how I was just in the squadron. And they all stuck up for me. Every chief, every captain, every lieutenant was there on behalf of me. I didn't know that going in. He said, "I'm going to listen to them. We're going to, we're going to keep you around." And from there, I uh, I was able to keep my nose clean. I got out of back to duty, and I became an art and joined the reserve force. Yeah. So. So when you were, um, uh, both stories that you've told, uh, some friends, right? So sure, I, I yeah. talk about the theory of five. It's not my theory. Right. Uh, there's obviously, there's another individual, individuals, plural, that have talked about this. But, you know, we are the average uh, of the five people we spend the most time with. That's, whether people believe that or not, people are definitely an influence on us, and we can be an influence, and we are influences on others. So... I don't know, man. It sounds like I'm not talking bad about your friends. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was like good. you didn't have the the, the people yeah. looking out for you that sure. you spent the most time with. Absolutely. Um, so, was there ever a? Did you ever realize that when you were like in the middle of it, like when you were in the Marine Corps, yeah, when personal I, custody? It, it was before that. It was it was when it was before the second stint of correctional custody, and. I was, uh, it was me and two buddies. One was in another squadron, and me and my one friend were in the Guard Minutes. And I was thinking, we, we, because we, like I said, we totally lied to the cops. And I decided I wanted to come clean about the whole thing. One of the fellas was irate, and he's like, they don't know what we did. We need to keep this going. And I went against him, and I went and I had to go get a, uh, like a private investigator because he knew the cops. So I had to get that burglary charge off my record because that's. Yeah. If I looked it up, it was like 15 years in prison if they really wanted to push it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, I need to get rid of this and kind of I had to get a loan for you know paying this investigator to go talk to them, a lawyer, the whole thing. And I went to the cops. He brought me to the cops, the guy that arrested me. He had, you know, he said, uh, I have you know this guy here, and they were all really cool. And they they said, okay, let's just let's just run down what happened. And I told them the exact truth about everything that happened. And they all were they all unanimously said. If you would have said that that night, we probably would have let you go. And I was like, man, the truth will just set you free. Yeah. So he was just like, we're going to drop this burglary charge. We know you weren't doing anything. You know, he goes, he, he goes, the guy that the guy's car you broke in, he, he wants, you know, the repairs paid for. Fine. But burglary, no, uh, we're going to we're going to just wipe off, wipe this whole thing clean and you know, call it a day. And I got to expunge the whole thing. It was it was good. And they were really good to do that. But like I said, if I would have just fessed up that night, the guy's. 
we came in here. We were all drunk. We tried to get in this car to get these speakers. It didn't really work out, but we got up. Yeah. They, they said, you know, probably if you were just cool with us, we would, instead of lying, because your story made no sense, mm-hmm. we would have let you go. So I came clean. I, I can't remember if the other guy came clean or not. He didn't get corruption custody. He didn't get an article 15. They took a stripe and he had an assignment to somewhere else. And they didn't give it to him. But yeah. Um, but we made friends after that, and I, I'm still friends with him to this day. And we all, you know, he we all talked about it afterwards. He said, "Man, you good on you for telling the truth." And I, you know, I should have done that. We all really learned from it. And yeah. he he went on to retire from the Air Force, and. Um, the whole, you know, so he stayed. He stayed active. He, he stayed active, uh, but then he got he got out, and then he joined the guard, I believe, and he had a. Uh, was he active the whole time? I can't remember if he was active the whole time, but yeah. he, he, he did retire from the Air Force, and he uh, he made a successful career for himself. And uh, my other buddy got out of the Air Force shortly after, and yeah. you know he he's doing real well himself. So awesome. just telling the truth, I should have told the truth yeah. at the beginning, but like I said, another fifteen that I had to make good respond to that as well sure, yeah. it's all how you respond yeah and if you and if I had if I looked at it in a bad way and said they're just off to get me and which a lot of airmen did and I saw a lot of marines do that in corruption of custody they were really against the whole system and I went with the system I said no I up not them I'm doing this so I need to go through this keep my nose clean do really well and I came back and I here I am, senior master sergeant. Twenty years later, that's awesome. So I think it's important too to to recognize the time frame in which this happened, right? So pre two thousand, and then yep. right after two thousand and one, uh, when you were essentially or right at two thousand and one, sure. yep. the second time around. Yep. So you know we spend a lot of time in basic tech school and now in the operational air force. Not that someone didn't spend or people didn't spend time with you, but the the amount or patience or grace. I guess probably the best way to say it, the grace and mercy is not as it's much. Not, We're right. not as flexible anymore. Sure. Now, leaders can still be leaders, right? But it is uncommon to have a double double Article 15 for the types of things you had Article 15s for. Sure. You know, it's coming to late, uh, coming to work late a few times, and you get hammered with a couple of LORs and Article 15, like, hey, I think this person could be straightened out. But you had some pretty significant stuff yep. uh, you were doing, right? So uh, I think it's important for us to realize or for the audience to realize that today's Air Force is different. Whether you think that's right, wrong, or indifferent, it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the heart of this is is you sharing like, hey, these are some of the things that I faced. Uh, and you didn't set the rules for the Air Force, how lenient they could be or not be. And, and you know, who knows? If, if the commander would have known that was your second time around, it might have been a different story anyway. Yep. Um, but what I'd like to do now is, is transition into, so we've got the audience has the examples, got two crazy examples, if you will, of obstacles. Those are some real obstacles that you turn into opportunity. And I'd like to transition to, to how we do that, uh, or how we apply that, what are the type of tools, what you've learned, uh, and talk about those tools, some of the tools that we learned. We talked a little bit about theory of five, not necessarily that those are your words, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but let's talk, how do we take these things that we go through in life and apply them to, to moving forward, right? Because, uh, you know, obviously you spent a lot more time in the military, you got a civilian job. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk to us about, like, were you ever faced with something else, whether it was a decision, like, oh, no, I know how this is going to turn out, or just other obstacles that weren't maybe as big or didn't seem as big. Did you ever fall back onto the things that you learned while you were going through your situation you just discussed with us and were able to draw on those or for yourself and or for other people? Yeah, sure. And you always, I always, I always go back to that, or always, it's always like I said, how you respond and what you can do. It's, it's kind of don't be. Um, if anybody comes down on you for any reason, and it's not, it's not really. You got to look at it from their perspective. It's all perspective. Mm-hmm. Your perspective versus somebody else. 
and I always try to put myself into somebody else's perspective and say, oh man, did I really screw up here or did I not? And you know, you can battle with, you know, back and forth in that regard, but I always try to keep a, a start with how you look at something and instead of automatically going to like a negative, yeah. pissed off or angry or something else, start with like a, a cognitive thinking, basically looking at the whole situation as a whole. Then I always try to go to like a positive mm. direction. It's all how you react. Like I said, a lot of people will see something and something will happen to them and immediately be on the fence. I try to always say, okay, let's see really, and it kind of happens quick. Yeah. It's, you know, how, how do, um, how can I look at this and really get everybody's perspective and then say, okay, how to respond to it in a positive direction. And then once you start the positive cognitive thinking, thinking you could stay positive yeah. and kind of react and, you know, and teach others as well. Say, hey, listen, you see how you know people screw up. You can go to them, give them examples, and you don't have to. You don't have to stay in this negative connotation. You can yeah. really turn it around anytime. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. You can always turn it around. You point out something really good there. What I hear you saying is being honest with yourself for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's there's times where you know it could be uh, something as simple as you know feedback within your job, mm -hmm. right? Something that you're doing, a task that you're doing, maybe you're not performing to the expectation or the standard even, and someone gives you feedback and you're like, kind of you said it. I'll put use your words. Oh, they're just out to get me. They're trying to pump me. But but when we actually take now, sometimes people are really out trying sure, to pump you. Sure. Um, That's easy to pick up, I think, though. It is, and even if it's not, if we still look at ourselves first, what did I bring to the table? What part of this do I own? So ownership. You know, I know you. You like Jocko, and he talks oh, about extreme it. ownership. That's yeah. a great book. Um, but you got to own it first. So I look, there's times, right? Just the other day, I was uh, irritated about some stuff. And, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of showing a little more than I should have. And uh, so I went back to my room that, that, that evening, and I was thinking about, I was like, all right, what did I do? And I've got a really good confidant. My wife, my best friend, I've been married to her for 20 years. Her, you know, I communicate with her. And so my plug is for people not necessarily to get married. I think that's a great idea, too. But uh, to get someone that they can really, that theory of five, something they can bounce off. And not just, yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Yeah, they're trying to punk you. Yeah. People that are like, well, hey, come on now, Tom. Caleb, what, what did you own in this? And like, hey, I can kind of see it from their perspective. So I did that. I processed it. I was talking to my wife about the situation. She said, well, I can kind of see it from their angle, too. I get why you're upset, but I can see it from their angle, too. And so, again, it makes me look inward. What do we own on this situation? And that helps you get to the positive outlook sometimes. Sometimes, so there's, I think there's three major different types. There's people that always will say, not my fault. It's, it's the chief's fault. It's a whoever's fault. They're just trying to get me. There's the people that will look inward and then become depressed because they made those bad decisions. Kind of where you were starting to go, like, man, this is an embarrassment. Like, how am I doing this? Mm -hmm. But you're one of the unique people, and I think there's a smaller, smaller percentage of people that can take that in that step and say, you know what? This is positive because I'm going to become a better person from it. That's the um, that's so, great. So when you're in the middle of that, any of the situations that you're in, what was kind of like the, the light switch? Was it a light switch? Was it a gradual as you moved forward uh, that you started thinking like, hey, I am becoming a better person? Um, I, um, I, I definitely became – everything that's ever happened to me with something like this, I became a better person because you get a lesson out of it. Yeah. So I remember thinking, I'm like, man, I wish it did that. You know, you're in it. When you're in it and you feel like crap about it, mm -hmm. that's one of the steps, I think. Like, you, you're right. There are other people that are like, nope, not my fault. I didn't do and that is dope. I would not advise that for anybody. Do not do that. The part where you're looking into yourself 
and then it's hard to do because yeah. you have to look you have to take a hard look at yourself and do like deep into your core mm-hmm. and say either if you if it was like a one time screw up or you know a couple of times or if it was a gradual kind of thing like in a, in a job if you're like a like I can even I can even take now I have a senior master sergeant now mm-hmm. I'm here in an employed location doing a job and um, you can you can take feedback if it's if you if you screwed up mm-hmm. and like you said be embarrassed and be like oh man it got kind of really get down on yourself and that happens and it happened with me but then it really at the same time you're I'm automatically processing how how can I learn from this how can I learn from this and really what I got to learn is communication mm-hmm. definitely communication and I think it happens simultaneously and you start to come out of the down on yourself part and start to I don't know if it's happiness or what kind of, but it's not depression. It's not exact. It's not anything. Um, yeah, that's there, but that, that'll go away with a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And you could be like, and you, you could take a huge lesson out of it and be like, okay, well, this is where I jacked up. Yeah. And it was not like a crime, but man, I really, you know, missed the mark on this one. Yeah. And, and you can, I, I, I've even went back from, you know, a couple of things that happened and went back into, you know, prior into life. I said, man, I, I, I kind of did that there. I did that there. Did I do this here? Okay, let's really take a, a really deep look into yourself. You got to be honest with yourself and you got to not lie to yourself. And that's hard when you're doing that to yourself because you kind of like, man, you got to admit that you are at fault and that's it. Yeah. Uh, the, the lessons that come out of it are fantastic and you can apply it positively to your life. And um, the... Um, I wouldn't want to when you when you're asking yourself questions. Man, I really wish this didn't happen to me. I really wish this didn't happen. If I could go back and take away all that crap that happened to me, if I what I want to get rid of that, yeah. But then what goes with that is a lesson. Yeah. So no, yeah, I want. I'm glad all these. It's not negative things. It's just like things where I had a, hit a little speed bump, and you got to learn from it. So no, I wouldn't want to take any of that away because I got good lessons out of it, and I was able to teach myself, you know, things that nobody can really teach you. You have to kind of go through it. Yeah. And it's kind of like a failure. You have to fail to succeed. And that's yeah. where I, I'm looking at this now. Um, and all of those things, all the correct custody, custody, um, just even little things. Like um, when I got my art job, I'm, I'm looking back and I had some really, you know, my first supervisor was amazing, but I, w- I went to night shift and I kept falling asleep on shift. Mm. And that, and you know, everybody's really cool on shift and nobody's saying anything, but it, it was highlighted that I could, I, you know, I had to really adjust and focus on not falling asleep at work. You yeah. know, and it wasn't because like I was like, "Oh, let's go take a nap." It was I had to adjust the night shift, yeah. and then you had to have you know have that conversation and say, "Okay, you know, we need to adjust your life. How are you going to do this? Can you lose your job? Okay, good." And I got a good lesson out of that. And I could probably come up with a million stories where I got a good lesson out of a small speed bump. I think something else is important for people to understand is when you look inward and and you start to own it, right? Like mm-hmm. we just said. Mm-hmm. It puts you back in the control of the situation. Sure. When you blame it on somebody else, you can't control that. So you're like you're the victim, right? Now, there are truly times where people are victimized, right? Um, but what we're talking about is those times where we know we screw up, and even if we don't know it right away, when we take a t- chance to look at it, and when you're like, when you flip it to the positive piece that you're talking about, saying, "Hey, you know what? I am learning something from this," and then like you're doing right now, you're sharing your story. You are in control of that. Now, now I'm not saying it in a negative way where you're controlling the narrative, but you're in, essentially that's what you're doing for your life. You're controlling the narrative for your life. You're like, yep, 
here's where I messed up. Here's what I learned from it. And you don't even have to say, even if the other person or people own part of it, you don't even have to touch on that. Because people are going to sit there and be like, that is pretty admirable that you were able to say, hey, here's where I screwed up. Here's where I owned it. And here's how I move forward. He didn't even, in your case, he, he didn't even say anything about the other people involved. Like he just owned his part of it and moved forward. So, you know, being back in, in control of it is, is, I think, very important for people to understand. So your advice, um, you know, I know we've covered a lot. I'm not trying to cut you short. If you got some more you want to talk about. I can talk here all day about this stuff. <laughs> because, like I said, I had, a, I had more than a couple times where, you know, things happened. Yeah, you know, and, and you, you have some great points about the lessons, everything. that If you could take stuff away, and that's another thing is when you're in the middle of it, uh, I've been in the middle of a lot of stuff myself, and, and you're not thinking, I, man, I really I enjoy this lesson right now. Most of the stuff that I've learned the most from, I hated the lesson. Mm-hmm. In misery, there's, there's lessons that I learned. I learned about who I really was and the character. So I don't wish that on anybody, but on the lessons that... So those I would change. Let's be honest. So those I would change. Like yeah, if I can get lives back, absolutely. But all the other stuff, you know, I've screwed up as a chief, and I've gotten some pretty good feedback. You know, and I'm like, at the time, you're right. It stings. It's like Muhammad yeah. Ali, and they're just pummeling your face. You know, and it's and it's hard. It's hard not to. And I and I find myself doing this, and I had to pull myself back and say, this isn't right. You find yourself comparing yourself to others, uh, especially as a senior master sergeant. Like I've screwed up as a senior. I've screwed up as a master. Every rank I've screwed up, and. I think I did this, you know, I was younger and I was even doing this, you know, um, pretty recently. You compare, you're like, he's not doing that. Or maybe they are. And you just don't know it. You're just comparing yourself and you're like, man, and that's wrong. You can't, you can't compare yourself to anybody else. Like, you know, uh, if you you screw up as a senior, as a chief, I, I went right into, you know, you're looking at yourself and you're saying, do other seniors screw up like this? Do other chiefs do this? I mean, or, or, or even as officers, colonels and lieutenant colonels. I mean, this is this is like airman stuff, maybe, and it's, it's happening. You know, no, it's. I think anybody can learn a lesson at any time, yeah. and you can go through stuff no matter what age you're at, and learn from it. And you can't compare yourself to others because you don't know what one what their story is. Sure, maybe their whole life is jacked up, yeah. and all you're seeing is kind of like through filters on either social media or just if you know them as a friend, and you don't know what their inner story is, mm-hmm. and that they're probably screwing up more, or maybe not, but yeah. you don't know. And you can't, you can't, you can't compare because people are probably comparing themselves to you. Sure. And they don't know, you know, I'm going through anything, you, you know, not, I don't mean right now, but in the past, yeah, or yeah. in the future and uh, comparing yourself to others is not where, where you want to go. And you can get into that and you can get deep into that when you start looking at yourself and you, you know, you see where you screwed up and you have to come out of it in a positive direction. And that's where the positive cognitive thinking comes. And, you know, you can, you can, it, it, it varies how long you stay in that thinking process, but you have to come out of it in a positive because I, I think you can just go into a downward spiral. Oh, if you absolutely. Don't. And it's getting out of that is way tougher. Oh, 100%. So, you know, I know in our previous conversations we were talking, so the things we've discussed roughly 45, 50 minutes now are things that you put yourself in the situation and we're talking about, we used you as two examples, two mm-hmm. major examples, but the other things we've just discussed were kind of situations we find ourselves in, right? We yeah. didn't go looking for the situation, we just kind of find ourselves in it. Yeah. Sometimes, well, obviously it's, it's the decisions we've made, but talk to me a little bit about, like we've talked before about going out and you're worried about failing, Right, you know that that's a possibility, but and you're not comfortable in the situation, but you're going to go do it anyway. So I think that's where we have the chance to positively engage our minds on like, all right, this is probably going to suck, but I'm going to go in looking to learn the lesson, which makes me not afraid of the failure. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, what kind of that, what that mindset looks like? Going into situations that seem uh, like a, like an impossible situation or something you've never done before. Yeah. 
Um, I know I talked about the correctional custody ones where I thought that was impossible. Basically, I don't, I don't think, really think anything's impossible. And if you can have tools that are just positive, one is, like I said, positive cognitive thinking, um, kind of going into something. You're going to be nervous. That's okay. Um, but being trying to be as prepared as possible, that's huge. And I've, I've talked about that before. This is seven Ps. Uh, prior, proper, planning, prevents, piss, poor performance. Mm. And sometimes it, it, you can prove it to yourself. If you don't oh, yeah. go prepare for something, you're going to not do as good. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to fail, but you're not going to do as good as if you were prepared. Yeah. That's where self-confidence comes in. That's where intelligence comes in. All sorts of things of being a, you know, a good leader or trying to sh- you know, show that you're good for any situation. Sure. Preparedness and communication, I think, because you have to lean on others. Yeah. And when you choose not to lean on others because of whatever you have going on. I've done it before. I've had probably, I've looked back in my life, even on this deployment, I thought back, you know, years of my life, even into relationships mm. where my communication sucked. And I was thinking, if I just communicated better and leaned on others, maybe took the road that was already paved and leaned on others instead of trying to take my own road or figure it out for myself, I do that a lot. I don't want to, I feel like I'm maybe bothering others. Sure. And that's not the case. Other people are there to lean on. Yeah. Communication, preparedness um, will lead to self-confidence. And once you have self-confidence, you can go into any situation. If you have self-confidence, because you're prepared, because you communicated, you can go into any situation kind of like holding your head high and saying, this is this is going to be way easier than if you didn't do that. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the part we talk about confidence, right? And, and I love the seven Ps. I think there's probably a lot of different versions of, sure. of the Ps of yep. preparedness. I, I heard this comment from someone one time, and uh, I don't remember exactly where it came from, but it said, um, you know, there's a difference between a mistake and a failure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you're not preparing, that's a failure. That's not a mistake. Right. If you prepared and then you slipped and fell within that process or whatever it is that you're going through. Now, that is a mistake. Like, I did prepare for that, and I didn't choose that option. Yep. Man, that was a mistake. Yep. I should have done that. Mm-hmm. When you don't prepare at all, it's like a football team. I'm a football guy. So if you don't prepare at all, like, imagine a football team that doesn't practice all week long, and they don't look at any film for the opposing team, and they go out on the field, and they lose. They're and like, well, we, yeah. we tried the best we could. <laughs> No, no, or we did the best we could. No, you tried. You you tried, right. and, but you failed because you failed to prepare. Right. Now, if you go out there and you prepare, you grind all week long, you're watching film, you're supposed to know their strategy, you do the best you can, you get out there, and you and you don't win the game, then, okay, you, you didn't fail, in my opinion, because you did all the things you were supposed to. You just weren't good enough on that day. That, that, right? Yep. And so we can have that in our careers and our lives where we can do all the preparation, we can do the best we can, and we're just not good enough that day. And that's where I really want our airmen the audience at large to be listening or that is listening to understand that when we're, we're we did the best we could and we fell short that's not the end of the world and don't beat yourself up on it through the conversation we've had what can i learn what did i learn from that process that move on i usually give people about three days whether it's promotion you didn't get the decoration you wanted whatever it is i give you three days to mope about it cry about it yep. complain about it go yep. sit in the corner um have you a couple of adult beverages whatever it is but on that third day, I'm coming looking for you. Some of the people who listen to this, they know that I've done that. You know, I'll say, all right, you got three days to cry about it. And I don't do say that flippantly, right? You got three days to process this. Sure. And then we're right back at it. And because yeah. we're going to talk about what you learned from this situation. Uh, so I love the part where you're talking about throwing yourself in these impossible situations. Because we go in with a mindset knowing, 
based on our values, what, what am I representing? Uh, and so everybody's got different values. And so, I mean, obviously some cross the same path. Mm-hmm. Um, but what am I here to represent? I know that this might not be successful. I'm going to do the seven P's. I'm going to use Tom's seven P's. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing prior to this engagement. And then we go into the battle with it, right? So thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks for being on the show. But I'm going to spring one on you. i got a question. Go ahead. You. Yeah, anything. Um, I want to know what you hope. What does Tom hope that his legacy is? Life legacy, not just necessarily in the Air Force, but what do you hope your legacy is? So as right before, you know, we, we, we call it quits and we're done in yep. this life. Yep. What do you hope to have accomplished in, as a legacy? Oh, man, this, that's good. Um, and I think about this all the time. Um, I'm kind of in the same in the same spot. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherish somewhere, either overlooking a lake or a beach. I grew up on a lake. I live at the beach now in New Jersey, so I, I need to be near the water. I love the water. I'm sitting there. I'm having a, having a sipping on a whiskey, and I got a wife by my side, and I got kids that are probably grown up, so I don't have a family yet. That's that's one thing. Get, putting myself, everything that I've learned into them, raising a good family, doing, doing the right thing, and then looking back on my life and saying, I was able to... Not, 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 I know what this story, this this podcast is about you know overcoming obstacles, but I've had a lot of other things that were in my favor that sure. I was able to you know really accomplish and I did the right thing and I was able to really you know yeah. do some really great things and I want to look back and say okay did did I accomplish everything I wanted to do and really just meet all my goals because I want it in a, under my terms not because society told me not because my friends told me not because of any of that because what did I want to do and what did I learn from that and. Just did I did I achieve all my goals and do I see myself in a family and a legacy and did I um, what what's my sense of accomplishment I guess yeah. I think that's big sense of accomplishment um, I guess that's it is that did I answer the question pretty good but it's your legacy right yeah, yeah. I guess you're right <laughs> you know I mean? and for right now because I don't have one maybe I, I you know I don't even know I say like I want a family sure who the hell knows but. That's kind of what I think. I think if I see my, you know, if I can raise my family right and watch them grow and I instill good values into them and, you know, teach them about respect and about, you know, treating people right and, you know, doing your best and instilling that into others and helping others as well. That's another thing. Helping others I love. So if I can help as many people as possible in the way, get out of their own way, basically. And what I mean by that is if you're depressed or anxiety, you know, anxious and you got all these things weighing you down in your own mind, odds are 90% of it's in your own mind. Yeah. Anxiety is the thought of what ifs. Yeah. Man, what if, it's usually nothing that's actually happened. Yeah. So getting other people, help people, you know, get out of their own way and really push on the road of, you know, to accomplish their goals. That's where people aren't happy because they're not accomplishing their goals because they don't know how to get out of their own way because they may be on a job that they hate because they're just trying to make ends meet. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to be in your own mind and screw your whole life up because you are either, one, depressed or you think you are, or two, anxious. And I think throwing yourself into stressful situations, the other side of that is this sense of accomplishment where it's infectious to yourself. And you want, that's why I want to keep doing it. So I throw myself in stressful situations all the time because I want that sense of accomplishment on the back end. If I don't get it on the back end, it's because something happened in the middle or I didn't prepare or something. There's always something to take out of that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's some great advice. And, and speaking of advice, man, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll give you the last word. 
what would be your final, uh, well, so I guess I should say, first off, I'm going to give you the final word. Can't leave without saying thank. So thank, thank you, thank you. Uh, 100% for, for just entertaining the conversation, sure. right? Uh, and just like we say, it's real talk and, and the audience knows that, the, the audience that would be listening to this that understands there's there's some rawness in there. Uh, so thanks for what you do uh, for, for your family, your friends. Thanks for what you do for the nation and for our airmen uh, and for your service because there's a lot of sacrifice along the way. We didn't talk about that, but anybody that served knows that there's Agreed. sacrifice, even life in general, so there's okay. sacrifice. Uh, so again, thank you. Appreciate the time. But parting words, your last words. What would be your final advice to anyone listening on, on the, uh, and you can take as long as you want to on this, but on uh, obstacles, seeing obstacles as an opportunity, what would be your final advice when they're in, either in the middle of it, coming out on the other side of it, what would your advice be that they can take away? Um, you, you can take your time to, to go through all the steps and go through it with a positive outlook. Do not go into any situation or any, any obstacle, let's say if it's a mistake, a crime, a failure, anything. It's some of it's gonna it's gonna sting, and that's part of it. And let yourself let it burn, I guess. Mm. Let it burn you. And we could take the three day thing. That's fine. Um, I I think that's pretty reasonable. Right? Sometimes a little longer. Maybe you know it depends what you what happened. Sure. Maybe it's a couple minutes where you're like, well, okay, I yeah. can get over this pretty quick. Be, you know, but go through the process. Let it burn you. Really let it. Let yourself feel it. If you don't, it means you don't care. Mm-hmm. So I've been through you know plenty of situations where sometimes. If I didn't feel it, I'll, you know, maybe I didn't learn from it because I didn't care enough. Yeah. And then it's something, you know, it'll come back. And once you feel it burning you, you know you care. And then you can, you know, once you come out of that, you can start looking at it at a positive connotation and say, okay, well, this is where I need to, you know, do better. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. That will get into people's heads as well, that. It's what you think about yourself. And if you think you need to change, then you can change. Yeah. If you, if you think you don't need to change... Whether you do or not, you're right. So it's all about you know, just going through life uh, with a positive outlook. Let it burn you. Let the obstacle burn you. Let the lesson in- be instilled in you. And you can pass it on to others and you can learn from it and press on positively with your own life. Just positive. Just stay positive and you can get through anything. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Chief. Hey, awesome. Glad you're on the show. And to the audience, y'all know the deal. Until we talk again, y'all keep it real.